Hello and welcome to the Management Learning Podcast episode 5. Our topic for today is are our lockdown experiences leading to division in our workplaces and if so how do we manage it? Just a couple of words about management learning and coaching. Um, They are specialists in management development and their mission is to transform management performance hence why we're talking today about lockdown experiences and how that kind of is how that translates um, kind of in the workplace. MLNC operate according to three values and we generally focus on one value in each of our episodes and today's value is looking after your people. I'm really really pleased to be joined by our guest Kevin Hard today. Um, so Kevin do you want to say say a bit about your interest in this conversation? Yeah good morning or good afternoon so thanks Louise. Um, I've been involved with leadership for quite some time, having been in various industries and seeing the impact that good leaders have and the bad leaders have, and it's massive. And there's a a guy that I always quote called Heraclitus back in 500 BC, a Greek philosopher. And even he back then actually suggested that people are our best asset. Um, We're experiencing change at the moment. There's a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, etc., but even he back then said, yeah, change is constant. So I find it quite challenging and quite worrying that leaders um, nowadays can't relate back to two and a half thousand years. It's about your people. It's about being ready for change. And if you engage with your people, if you include them and value them, they'll be ready for it. They'll be part of that change and they'll accept it. So I think this COVID-19 has been a bit of a Um, a slap in the face of a lot of leaders who aren't ready for that change. They're not ready to um, care for their people and all the good that that will bring. So leadership Mm -hmm. to me is about your people. It's about inspiring, caring and valuing for your people. Brilliant. I'm I'm really excited to have you join us today, Kevin. Um, And we've also got Diana Barden. Um, So Diana, I know quite a lot about your thoughts on on management um, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So would you like to say a few words about your interest in this conversation? Uh, Yes, certainly. Hello, everybody. Uh, I am Diana Barden, one of the founding directors of Management Learning and Coaching back in 2000 and some odd or another. I never quite remember. Um, And my background is in learning and development. It's something I'm passionate about. Um, I spend a lot of my free time as well as my work time thinking about learning um, and helping people to do what they do even better. Um, And uh, yeah, quite a lot of uh, ideas around how we manage people to to be the best version of themselves. Brilliant. Um, Great. So thank you both of you for, for joining us. So our question then, um, are our different lockdown experiences leading to division in our workplaces? And, and you know, if that's true, how do you manage it? Um, Kevin, I'm going to ask you first. OK, thanks, Louise. It's an interesting question and, and the interesting wording. Is it leading to divisions? I'm actually working mornings at a, um, a place where I've seen those divisions. Um, it's about communicating why people are thinking differently, why they're doing different things. And I think the challenge is some people are coming back to work post-COVID. They're pretty fragile. Maybe they've been impacted. Maybe they've got colleagues or friends that have been impacted or family even. And their emotions will be different to those that are coming back and say, right, we need to crack on. You know, let's go gung-ho. Let's get this thing done. So I think it's about managing people's expectations of when they come back to work, of, of whether they survive or thrive. You know, what's the future going to be? How can they be part of this future? Um, so it's about 
people being keen to be productive, well, that's going to impact on others who aren't that keen, who don't want to do what they're doing, impact on their safety, their well-being. Other people want to be eager to prove that they can still do what they did maybe six months ago, but maybe they're not quite so competent. Maybe they've been impacted um, emotionally as well. So I think there's a lot of different areas that leaders need to think about. They've, they've got to be having frank and open conversations with these people because everybody's going to be in a different place. We're all different. And I think referring to management, and I think average teams are about 10 or 12 people. But if a manager can't have frank and open conversations with eight or 10 people in their team to understand where they are and actually learn to understand what's in it for those people, what's in it for me as a person moving forward is critical to those people. It's critical to engaging with them, uh, making them feel better. There's research showing that uh, if people feel engaged, if they feel valued, then their mental health is going to be better. Their well-being is going to be better. There's all sorts of um, benefits. So managers have to have frank and open conversations, understand that people will be in different places. Mm, I think well-being is so important. I mean, it, I think well-being is always important. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's so important at work. And I <laughs> your point there, Kevin, about needing to have open and frank conversations in order su to support well you know well-being to to make sure well-being um is as good as it can be is really important and diana i'm sure that you have a view on that so i'm going to ask you to to jump in yes absolutely thanks louise um for me there's a very fundamental skill that actually has nothing to do with being a manager or a leader it's that ability to just go around to the other side of the table and just understand what the world looks like for the person sitting opposite you, because it will look different. It will always look different from the world, according to Diana, in my case, um, you know, just purely the backdrop behind the person that you're talking to. So because, particularly now, because of our different experiences of lockdown, you know, some people will have worked all the way through key workers, manufacturing workers, for example. Um, some people will have been working like, like crazy people at home, and that will have been a bit invisible, perhaps, to, to other people who just think, you know, well, you've been at home. What, what's the problem? You know, you don't need to get dressed um, to do your work. Others will have had the insecurity, perhaps, of being furloughed and not quite knowing what they were coming back to. Um, you know, the world looks different on the other side of the table. And, and actually, the number one skill for anybody or, or, or just thing to think about, I don't to me it's not a skill it's a it ought to be part of human nature is just to ha just take a minute and have a bit of an understanding of what the world looks like for the other person what experiences have they had particularly in the last few months but actually generally what life experiences have they had and how do those differ from mine how are they similar to mine and and therefore what might be important to them that that i may or may not have have thought about before the conversation yeah, I, I, I understand that. And I agree with you, Diana. And actually, so a question to, to both of you then, um, you know, what, what kind of, what challenges do you think that, that all these, the different experience we've had, the fact that we're all different, what specific challenges are they presenting for, for managers and leaders right now? If I can start with that one, Diana, that's, um, again, I think the challenges are understanding people. What's in it for those people? It's how can I inspire those people? Because people haven't gone back to work just to be automatons again. They want to be inspired, whether it's a manager or a leader. I think this is where managers have got to get their leadership skills to the fore. They need to inspire these people. They need to care for them, value for them, support them, 
And I'm not so sure that management have always done that. They've got the role to do, um, yeah, tick the boxes, and they've done the day job well done. So I think the challenge certainly for managers is bringing their leadership skills to the fore, developing those leadership skills, or even if they haven't got them, learning them. And if they're not capable, then organisations have to make decisions. And successful organisations make decisions, whether they're good or bad on performance, and they make them quickly. And I think that's vital um, for organisations going forward. So they're the two things I'd say is about managers bringing their leadership skills to the fore and organisations helping them do that or moving them into different roles because it's critical. Uh, yes, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, I think one thing particularly that leaders need to recognise is there's a very, very close correlation between how we look after our people in the organisation and how they look after our customers. Uh, we had a bit of a conversation this morning about um, retail experiences, you know, having been into a couple of retail stores over the weekend. I think things have shifted really quickly from, you know, oh, we're allowed to be open now. This is great. And thank you so much for coming back in and trusting us and, and shopping here to, oh, actually, same old, same old, you know, when's my lunch break? Oh, you're, you're a customer, you're getting in my way. And I felt that very strongly this weekend, actually. So I think, you know, part of leadership is about recognising, if you like, you know, the bottom line value to the organisation in looking after our people. If you want a really hard, hard edged measure, you know, how you look after your people will in some way decide how they look after your customers um, and how they bring in to what extent they bring in their discretionary effort uh, to help you to fulfil your goals ultimately that's what they're doing your team will be fulfilling your your goals and and targets um, and if you don't look yeah. after them that you know that uh, with the best will in the world not not maliciously you know there will be certain creative brain cells that they'll leave out in the car park and collect them on their way home because they don't feel that they're valued by the organization yeah oh, i've definitely been in that situation um in you know in some of the roles i've been in through my career so i I, I empathise both with the, the employee's perspective and, and I also empathise with, you know, with the, the management perspective. And I, th I think, um, so Kevin, I know that you've, you talk a lot and you, you work on, um, on a culture of care. So I think we're really talking about the link between looking after your people or creating a culture of care and productivity across the organisation. Would, would you agree with that? A hundred percent, absolutely. And what Diana mentioned then about um, that goes all the way through to customer care. The research that Engage for Success have done over the years, and we've done our own research um, with the CIPD in different areas, but every single one of those different areas of business reflects that if you value and care for your people, they become engaged, you build that trust, and that will impact on the performance of the organisation all the way through. Um, they become... Uh, more positive people willing to collaborate, there's a discretionary effort coming through, uh, more able to learn, creative, willing to get involved. What an organisation that might be. If they don't feel valued, if they don't feel engaged or um, can't be a part of this journey the organisation's on because nobody cares about them, that's when you get your cortisol, that's your stress drug, that's when you get anxious, you see the place, uh, the workplace is hostile, the colleagues is hostile, poorer performance, weakened immune system. All these things that we are now talking about as well-being over the last three or four years, it's fascinating. We're now focusing on well-being. Why didn't we always do that? 
Why is it now we've got to focus on well-being? We should always care for our people. Again, back to Heraclitus two and a half thousand years ago. He got it. Our people are our greatest assets that value them. Let's look after them. And I think uh, Diane and I had a chat about this, but a lot of organizations are now bringing in mental health first aiders. Well, that's because a lot of people don't feel valued. They don't feel cared for. So of course they're gonna have this cortisol. Their immune systems aren't working properly. Um, but what we do, we bring in the mental health first aiders, have a chat with them, then we throw them back into the same culture that actually impacted them in the first place. So if you can change the culture to one where they are positive, where you've got oxytocin flowing around the bodies because they feel valued, because they feel cared for, it has a massive impact, not just on productivity, but well-being, quality. Imagine HR um, trying to recruit people. Who's going to come and work for a company where nobody cares for you? Yeah, it's, the impact is absolutely across the whole board of caring for your people, making them feel valued as part of your organisational journey. And actually part of caring for people is not leaving them in the dark. You know, lots of organisations are going to be going through unfathomable turmoil um, with, you know, how do they bring people back in? How do they make the environment safe? Can they even bring everybody back to work? Can, can they actually employ everybody uh, again? Or are they going to be having difficult conversations around redundancy? Um, and, and, you know, the most stressful part of any situation like that and i've been in a few myself i have to speak from experience is the not knowing once you know what you've got to deal with once you're brought in on the, the sort of insider information you know it may not be what you wanted to hear it may not be nice to hear however you can start making plans so i think you know again managers think oh, well i've got this information i can't possibly share it with people and of course there'll be situations where that's true um, and sometimes they assume it to be true where, where perhaps it isn't. And, you know, if you get people's creative brain cells involved, firstly, you might actually come up with a better solution. And, and secondly, once people know what they're, what they're dealing with, they can get used to the idea. They can, you know, start thinking of the questions they need to ask. They can start thinking about what plans they need to make for the future. Um, as I say, I do speak from personal experience. The hardest part is the not knowing. It's the feeling that somebody knows something that you don't. Mm. So it sounds like um, it, it, have it, creating a culture of care and you know actively looking after your people. That that's really important. And one of the ways that we can, you know, as managers, as leaders, one of the ways we can do that is by communicating well. And communicating early with our people is that right I think that's bang on what Diane said there was um, it's one of the key enablers of engagement is strategic narrative at every level of the organization if people understand if certainly with change people you know brains we like patterns our brains love certainty and patterns ambiguity leads to stress so if they haven't a clue what's going on because nobody's communicating to them then that that's a massive negative impact. So neuroscience shows us that if we are aware of what's happening, we can be part of that and be able to impact it slightly. Then it, it'll have a huge impact on our stress levels, our well-being. So strategic narrative is absolutely key. So Di is, is bang on with that one. I remember, just as Kevin was talking, I remember, God, years and years ago now, I've been back in this country for uh, more than 26 years. But when I lived in Germany, um, a, my best friend, was working for a tech company where they were needing to make some redundancies and it's very difficult in Germany to make people redundant unless the company's going under 
um, rules and laws are very different over there. And they called everybody together. It was a team of 10 people. And they said, we've got to lose one person in the team because we need to make 10% cuts. Um, so who's it going to be? And, you know, we're offering voluntary redundancy. Well, nobody wanted to go because it was a very exciting project that they were working on. And my friend put her hand up, being the only non-German in the group, she was a Brit, and she said, what if we all agreed to take a 10% pay cut? And there was silence around the room. And everybody said, well, you know, I'm up for it. I could, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. So, you know, the best solution came from, from the team. They each took a 10% pay cut. Guess what? They paid a little less tax. It wasn't 10% by the end of it because their tax bill went down a bit. And, and that was the best solution. All of them carried on working. Well, that's a fantastic example of bringing everyone's creativity and, and also, a, you know, kind of a shared sense of needing to solve the problem resulting yeah. in a sh shared ownership of, of the solution. Discretionary efforts. They brought a few other, you know, extra brain cells into the building that day and thought, well, if it's 10%, you know, there are lots of ways of, of coming to 10%. It's one person out of a team of 10, or it's each, each person taking a 10% pay cut. Can I just pick up on that point? Because I think that's really powerful again. I think there's a lot of, um, again, managers out there, leaders think they have to make decisions. So yeah. decisions are made based on instruction. Well, why don't the frontline guys make those decisions based on information? They've got the information. They're the guys doing the job. They're the guys thinking. So decisions, empowerment should be based on information, not instruction. And again, I think there's a lot of managers and leaders who aren't ready for that. They've been taught how to be a leader to tell people what to do. So I think that's a huge point. And particularly yeah. where you've got, sorry. No, no, go on, carry on, Dana. Particularly where you've got people working remotely, they're making all sorts of decisions we never expected to have to make. You know, in the last few months, everybody's been making decisions they never expected they'd have to make with respect to, you know, the family, the, how they get onto the internet, who, who has, you know, first dibs on internet, how, how we manage a whole, uh, you know, a myriad of, of different priorities, whether it's homeschooling or, you know, getting stuff done. Uh, and managers are ha going to have to find a way of trusting their people in a way that I think they've never really been tested to do so in the past. Some of them will fail, I think, die. Some won't be able to do that. They won't be able uh, to let go. And they're the ones that need managing performance pretty quickly, I think. Yes. Yeah, of course. It's not going to be the same for everybody. It's not going to work out for everybody. But, that, you know, there needs to be... Where, where in the past there's been instruction, as Kevin said, I think, you know, we need to replace that with trust. Yeah, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Sorry, Diana. But until proven otherwise, you know, you don't trust people far enough to, to allow them to fail but, but we just show a bit of trust that's part so, of looking after our people so my my next question would be so what um what advice or what strategies would you suggest for either someone who's managing managers or, or leading managers um and they're not sure what you know what their people what their managers need or how to make sure or support their managers in managing for well-being and productivity um or for the managers themselves they kind of the, the, the middle management or the lower management road what strategies or advice could either of you give well from my perspective is understanding again 
what's in it for them? Not just the managers understanding what's in it for the people. What's in it for the managers? What's driving them? What would make them be the best they can be, as Diana said at the beginning? I think that's really important. So it's having those frank and open conversations all the way through the organization, involving everybody. Um, I had a company many, many years ago. We called people into the board meeting so they understood what was happening, the strategic narrative. We had took their advice. We understood what they were about, what was driving them. And that worked really, really well. So I think it's having these open and frank conversations at every level and communicating this through strategic narrative at every level. Obviously, bigger organizations, it will take longer. But it's understanding what's in it for the managers as well as the leaders, as well as their people. And I call it the biggest radio station in the world. We all listen to it. It's W-I-I-F-M, you know, what's in it for me. <laughs> and when I present at um, board level, I, when I talk about engagement and the power of you know, your people, uh, culture of care, I talk about the impact of risk, the impact of corporate social responsibility, and the impact of um, sustainability, which we've done research on. If you're down at the operating end, you're talking about performance, you're talking about quality, productivity. If you're at the front end with the front line guys you're talking about quality of working life you're talking about caring you're talking about making them um, involved you know, being more creative able to learn collaboration so it's understanding what's in it for different people and that's going to be hard work but it's got to be done it's got to be done quickly so i think engaging with everybody at every level is is critical it's hard for the people who are not used to doing that but i think it will reap its rewards you know generously um, for me, I think it's, it's also all of these things, and, and it's about testing your own assumptions. You know, every single one of us has grown up with our own experiences of life and things that have happened to us along the way and places we've been and managers we've had. And of course, we all build up assumptions. And, and to a certain extent, assumptions are what keep us safe. You know, an assumption as to whether you're going to make it across the road before that bus coming along is what's going to keep you safe and make you wait until the bus has gone past. Um, so, you know, assumptions are there for a good reason and at the same time need to be tested because some assumptions we carry around with us for a long time and they're just not true or, or they're no longer true. So I think, you know, we talk about difficult conversations and, and without a doubt, there are many, many managers out there who are, who are going to be or who are facing difficult conversations. And, and sometimes what makes a conversation difficult is our assumptions about how the other person is going to take the, the news or how they're going to be or how they're going to react or what I need to do or say to, to make them feel better. And mm. assumptions are, are in our own head, they're not true. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And I, I think so something that you've both said during this podcast is that you know if you're thinking about that difficult conversation, then actually the very first and perhaps biggest thing you can do to make that easier, certainly for the other person, but also for yourself, I suspect, is to share the information and you know, make sure that everyone, you know, everyone knows what the situation is. And and once you've done that, you've already done quite a lot of the hard work, I suspect. Yeah, and and be open and vulnerable enough to say I don't have all the answers. You know, that's not part of being a manager is to have all the answers. I have yeah, to me that's absolutely. Um, right in terms of leadership again it's about emotionally intelligent leadership at every level managers need to be emotionally intelligent leaders need to be emotionally intelligent highly emotionally intelligent and i think that's that to me is a difference between an mba 20 30 years ago and leadership now 
It's not about telling, it's about humility, it's about understanding, it's about listening, not talking. All these, these people skills that haven't been there before and I think they're critical. Mm. And do, so do you, do you think, Kevin, that there's quite a big gap between, I'm coming back to what you said at the beginning of, of as we started this about you know, changes, changes are constant. Um, it, there will always be change. So do you think there's a gap between what, what's needed in leadership and in management and where the majority of our leaders and managers are? I would say yes. Um, again, from experience I've seen, even with our own um, leaders in one of the companies I've been in, um, you know, spoke a great game, but actually wasn't emotionally intelligent and was a narcissist, but uh, had his fan club and this, that and the other. But uh, I think a lot of people want to see change, but not a lot of people want to really change. And I think that's the difference. So again, going back to helping them understand the benefits of, of changing to be a, a people person, emotionally intelligent leader, um, if they can see that and experience it, as Di said before, they've got to experience it. They can assume and make all the assumptions they want, it all sounds good. They've got to go and experience it and make it work for them. So I do think there's a gap. I think too many managers are promoted because they're good at what they do, technically. Um, they'll, 25% of them will survive, but a lot of others won't. Some could be helped and encouraged. Um, but you've got a challenge there as well. So if you're taking bits, technical people out of their roles, who's going to fill that role? So there's all sorts of issues. But I think emotionally intelligent leadership at every level of the organisation is critical. Yeah, and, and recognising that the status quo has to be uncomfortable enough for people to want to change. And I think for some people it is now, not for everybody. Um, but, you know, as human beings, Kevin said, you know, we like patterns of behaviour. We, we don't go looking for change unless the status quo is so awful that anything else would be better. Yeah, but that's a that's a sobering thought. But I, I think that you no know, changes that are coming around the pandemic, not necessarily just directly because of the pandemic either, but, you know, there are lots of changes happening in the world at the moment so yes it might well be that some of us are in a situation where we would we would be looking for change yes um, i think a lot of people feel they've had a bit of a wake-up call and feel that they've been sleepwalking to, yeah to the idea that we don't have to go back to how things were no actually how things were wasn't working for us no Hmm. So I think we've been. Uh, I think we're we're coming to a bit of a close. I'd like to ask each of you what your what your kind of one takeaway from this conversation, or what one thing you'd like you'd really like the listeners to take away from this conversation. So, um, Diana, I'll start with you. What would be your your one takeaway? Uh, I think for me, it has to be you know go round to the other side of the table and really test your assumptions. So go around and just look and see what the world looks like from the other person's side of the table, because it will be different and, and probably it'll be different from what you assumed to be the case. Mm. And so that would then, so if I'm, if I'm a, a manager doing that, then that would really help me to understand where my colleagues are coming from and to, to do my job, which is enabling them to do their jobs. Yeah, in order to fulfil my objectives, mm, yes. the people in my team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just find out what the world looks like. Ask questions. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Diana. And Kevin, what would your, uh, would your one takeaway from this conversation be? 
Well, just to link to my one takeaway, what Diana said there, again, is, is so important. It's not about talking to people, it's about listening to them now. I think that's a, a huge opportunity for people. And I think taking care of your people, valuing them by listening to them, um, not only improves personal and organizational performance, but it improves personal and organizational resilience. And I think a lot of people talk about resilience now, well-being, about bouncing back. I don't think it's about bouncing back. I think it's about not being knocked over in the first place. And that means caring for your people. And all the drugs move from cortisol to, to oxytocin. And that will happen. So taking care of your people is the right, smart thing to do. Mm. So there's very much, there's, you know, taking care of your people that has a, a very, very much a physiological aspect in you know, people's actual, you know, hormonal balance, um, which of course is intimately linked with mental well-being and in this case, performance at work. Well, there's a research by NICE, National Institute of Clinical Excellence and Gallup, and it actually states three things that engaged employees take fewer unhealthy days as a result of physical or mental illness, are less likely to be diagnosed with new disease in the next year, and most importantly, I think, are less likely to be newly diagnosed with the anxiety and depression. So why haven't we got this culture of care where we can get rid of this cortisol and move people up this, uh, this culture ladder, should we say? So it has a massive impact. Mm, yeah, it's very sobering. Sorry, Diana. I was just going to say, I agree with all of that. And if managers still need convincing, you know, the commercial reality is that people who feel looked after will look after your customers. Yeah, as you found only this weekend. I did. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, thank you both so much for your time and your insights. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation for me. Um, so thank you and uh, take care of yourselves. And um, this is your host, Louise, signing out.